This is Tim Benall of BenallofAmerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 4. It has been crazy here at BOA HQ over the past week, thus we had to skip out on you last week, but we're back here this week with an amazing episode. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it, of course, in just a minute. But before then, I want to give you a little state of the program news so you can uh, have an idea where things are headed over the next few weeks. Traditionally, we've ended at episode number 31 of the season, but this week's episode is episode number 30, and that's kind of quick for a whole season finale to creep up on you. So we're not going to wrap things up next week. We're going to go above and beyond here for season four. We are adding three more episodes to the season, and I'm very excited to announce to you that we're going to go out with a huge bang here for Season 4. We're calling it the Final Four of Season 4, and I can tell you right now that we have four A-list guests lined up for the final month of BOA Audio. I can't tell you all the names right now, but I will start with the first phase of the Final Four of Season 4, and that is esteemed ufologist Timothy Good. He'll be our guest in two weeks. Wait a minute, what? Two weeks? Yeah, because I'm going to be taking next week off as well to sort of wrap things up here on the home front and settle some things down at BOA HQ. This is partially why we don't run the show usually into the summer. I got a lot going on, folks, but I do want to wrap up the season on the strongest note as possible. So each week in August, you're going to get four superstar guests from BOA Audio. The final four of season four starts that first week in August with esteemed ufologist Timothy Good. All right, we got that huge plug out of the way. I wanted to say that, though, since we missed last week's episode, and things have been a little bit crazy here with the schedules. Now you know where we're at this week's episode, then a week off, then the final four of season four. Our gift to you, three extra episodes and all A-list guests. Now, on to this week's episode, very exciting edition of the program. Our guest is one of the breakout stars in Esoterica over the last year, Pastor Robin Swope, better known to the online world as the Paranormal Pastor. If you're not reading the stuff at his truly awesome blog, The Paranormal Pastor, you're definitely missing out. You want to check out his blog. We'll have the plug of the URL here in a little bit. And much like the Paranormal Pastor blog, which covers a whole host of different esoteric topics, that's what we're going to be doing here this week as we speak to the Paranormal Pastor himself. Here's a little rundown of what we're going to be talking about. We're going to hear about some truly strange paranormal stories shared by missionaries who've worked in Africa and Pastor Robin's own strange experiences while working as a missionary. We're going to talk about the potential dangers of weekend warrior ghost hunters and their flirtation with evil forces, what the Bible really says about ghosts, UFOs, and crypto beasts, 
phone calls from the dead and soul pillars, ghost stories from the paranormal pastor's days working at a haunted ambulance bay, and some insight on exorcisms which he has performed on numerous occasions. Plus, of course, tons and tons more. It really is a wide-ranging conversation covering a plethora of esoteric topics with one of the most exciting new writers to emerge in esoterica today, the paranormal pastor, Pastor Robin Swope. Some of you may be unfamiliar with Pastor Swope. You're going to really get to know him here this week, but let me just give a little bit of bio info for you to bring you up to speed. Pastor Robin Swope, also known as the paranormal pastor, is a writer and has been a Christian minister for more than 15 years in both mainline and evangelical denominations. He holds a BA in biblical literature and finishing studies in pastoral ministry with an emphasis on marital and family counseling. He has served as a missionary to Burkina Faso and has ministered to the homeless in New York City's Hell's Kitchen. He's the founder and chief officiant of Open Gate Ministerial Services and a church council member of St. Paul's United Church of Christ in Erie, Pennsylvania. His website is www.theparanormalpastor, all one word, .blogspot.com. As I said, check it out. Some amazing material on there, and I would definitely call it a worthwhile daily stopping point for anyone who's looking for some intriguing paranormal investigation. The Paranormal Pastor, he's covering all different facets of the esoteric at his truly awesome blog. Without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on July 1st, 2009. The Paranormal Pastor, Robin Swope, on BOA Audio, Season 4. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Been All of America Audio. Very, very excited about this week's guest and very excited about this interview. Chances are, if you're a denizen of the online paranormal world, and if you're listening to this program, you probably are, you have come across the website, The Paranormal Pastor. It's a blog. It's amazing. You can find it at theparanormalpastor.blogspot.com. Just really burst on the scene in the last year, around the beginning of last summer, and uh, it is from the amazing Pastor Swope, who has just had a remarkable career as a theologian and done some amazing work, and has a a really healthy and a ama- and uh, excuse me, a really healthy and remarkable interest in the paranormal, which is something you almost don't expect from a man of the cloth. So I'm very excited to be talking to him. I'm a huge fan of the Paranormal Pastor blog, and I hope a lot of people who haven't heard of the of the website yet will definitely go and check it out because it is amazing. You never know what you're going to get on there too, which is really cool because Pastor Swope covers the whole array of different esoteric genres. It's not just demons or, or the stuff you might expect to hear from someone dubbed the Paranormal Pastor. He's got his finger in all the different pies and it's really quite an amazing experience to check out the website and really dig into the Paranormal Pastor blog. So, without any further ado, welcome to the show, Pastor Swope. Thank you for coming on with All of America Audio. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Now, I guess, you know, we usually start out here with the standard bio background. You know, who is Pastor Swope, and how did you get interested in the paranormal? Well, I've always been interested in the paranormal. I grew up in... Uh with Fate Magazine and Famous Monsters of Filmland, <laughs> both together, so they sort of mixed together in my mind, I guess. Always interested in UFOs, UFO Digest. Of course, from Erie, PA, there's all kinds of weird stuff going on all the time, so you grow up with all the local legends. Oh, yeah. Sort of covered a little bit on the blog. Yeah, and it's always the whole realm of the unexplained, just fascinating for me. And when I went into the ministry, uh, it branched off into, you know, the supernatural realm, within the church as well. 
So, yeah, it's always been. It always seems like something. <laughs> I get in the middle of something. <laughs> No matter where I go, kind of funny. <laughs> now I'm sure that there's probably a lot of uh, pastors and stuff like that who do have an interest in the paranormal, but not too many people are sort of out there like you are talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess just talk a little bit about that. You know, what's been the reaction of your colleagues to you know your ascension as the <laughs> the paranormal pastor? <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. You know, a lot of my friends, um, I. I uh, was trained with the Christian Missionary Alliance, which is a uh, evangelical group. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an offshoot of the uh, Presbyterian Church. Some are actually very fundamental in Western PA, where I'm located at. They'll talk about all kinds of uh, spiritual topics, having somebody come bless their house, deal with uh, you know paranormal influences. But when you get to have them go on record, it's another thing entirely. Yeah. Uh, especially the missionaries, you know. We always would have uh, missionary conferences where missionaries from all over the world, depending on the year, different uh, countries would come in and they do week-long seminars talking about things that have happened. And always the paranormal always came up, inevitably. Really? Uh, very rarely would it not come up with some missionaries. But to actually get them on record, I've written them. <laughs> and it's few and far between that, that want to be out there because they're afraid they're going to be ridiculed, just like I think anybody else. Yeah. I do have had a lot of people who uh, are Christian ministers write me, though, and say, you know, they have, they too have had experiences and they deal with it behind the scenes as well. But to be out there, they're just afraid of the ridicule. And a lot of my friends have distanced myself in a Christian missionary alliance. It's funny on Facebook, (laughs) I'll put my link up and very few people will go to it. Very few people will talk to it, but anything else is fine. (laughs) (laughs) It must be kind of weird to be in the church like that and then moonlighting, I guess you could say, in the, <laughs> in the world of the paranormal. Well, I guess just to sort of clear up, you know, uh, for people like me who are really sort of uh, ignorant, I guess you could say, to the various factions and, and houses, I guess, or however you want to call it, I guess, uh, of Christianity and, and religions and stuff like that, I guess just talk a little bit about what, you know, what your affiliation is as far as the church and stuff like that, because, you know, I'm, I was raised Catholic, so I really only know about about the Catholic Church and uh, other stuff that I've sort of picked up along the way. But let's, uh, you know, sort of make it clear here, you know, what church you're part of and, and all that stuff. Well, I've, I've been in, in different denominations. Right now, I'm affiliated with the United Church of Christ, but I'm independent. Uh, with uh, I have my own organization, Open Gate Ministerial Services, which I deal, you know, do funerals or, you know, any type of service for people who are either unchurched or don't have the money. But I'm affiliated with United Church of Christ at this time, uh, which is more of a liberal denomination than some. Barack Obama's Reverend Wright, he was part of the denomination as well. Mm-hmm. It's a very, each individual church governs their own theology. So our church is, it's completely fine. It's, you know, it's a very white church and very conservative, whereas you'll have different, even, you know, Vietnamese churches. And I've been in, um, very, you know, conservative churches. I uh, was in a Christian Missionary Alliance for about 13 years, uh, went to uh, United Methodist, and then I went independent. Just I saw some things going on, and I thought that's you know where the Lord was leading me at that time. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I've been, I've been all over. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was raised Catholic as well. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I have many good Catholic friends. Yeah. As you said, sort of like 
some of uh, some of your friends and distance themselves a little bit from your, your paranormal work and stuff like that. I guess, you know, why did you decide or, you know, how did you decide to end up creating the Paranormal Pastor blog in the first place, you know, because uh, I'm sure it would have been a little bit easier for you just to have that interest and, and not, you know, make it public that you were the, the Paranormal Pastor, but you decided, you know, to go the route to, uh, you know, share your work with people, which I appreciate and enjoy. Obviously, I'm happy you did, but I'm just wondering, you know, what made you decide to do that? Well, I was always, you know, enthralled with the paranormal, and uh, I've been writing for a while. I just, I've always wanted to be a writer, and I just finished a book, um, um, it's retitled A Walk with an Angel, which is really a, uh, it's a rehab, spiritual awakening book, a five-step type of program for people. And I thought, what should I do next? And I was looking at the uh, the Weird USA books. Yeah. They are great, but some of the stories you just want a little bit more of. So I knew some of the stories around here in Western PA. I thought, you know, I'll, I'll make my own book like that. And I started it, and then I realized what a chore that was. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay, what should I do with this now? I'll just, you know, I always, uh, I fielded uh, new stories to 40 and Times and The Anomalist quite a bit. So I just said, you know, I'll try my hand at it. And, and uh, I uh, sent the first blog to The Anomalist, and it just kicked off after that. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into <laughs> in a lot of ways. I just thought, hey, you know, because to me it's just secondhand. And this is some of my friends, but to actually be public, I didn't realize, you know, a lot of people have just, you know, I, I get a lot of encouraging letters, really wonderful letters. But you get a lot of people who, who are Bible pumpers who just attack. Yeah. And I'm sure they get into the whole, you know, demonic thing. It seems like that's like the catch-all for people who are super hardcore uh, religious zealots, if you will, to just lump anything paranormal in with, you know, demonicness. That's it, yeah, and I, I, I'm a trained, uh, you know, exorcist from seminary, and uh, I had a guy rebuke me just a couple weeks ago because I, I dared say that maybe ghosts are actually in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow. You know, here's history-wise, that's, you know, since the early church fathers, there's always been a belief in spirits, now exactly what they are, going through, you know, the ancient Greek cultures and everything, but, you know, the church really has not been, in, in last, except in the last 150 years, with the rise of fundamentalism, um, they've never shied away from the paranormal. Yeah. Now, what do you make of, uh, I'm sort of jumping around here a little bit, but there's so much to talk to you about, and you, you really uh, do have an interest and knowledge of all different sort of subjects. Um, but since we're sort of like still in the in the churchly realm, what, what do you think of what's been sort of coming out from the Vatican the last few years regarding UFOs and sort of how they're like lightening their stance on UFOs and, and making them a little more palatable to uh, the members of the Catholic Church? It makes you wonder, you know, if they've known all along that certain things, you know, if you go into the conspiracy the theory that you know all the world governments actually know what's going on. And they would they would be privy to that sort of information, I think, as well. Are they lightening the effect that that revelation will have upon their followers? You, you never know. If you look at it logically, I mean, C.S. Lewis, um, he actually led J.R.R. Tolkien to the Lord. Um, you know, he's a great Christian writer. He wrote three uh, fictional stories on three different planets. You know, just the whole speculation, what if there is other life on other planets and how they would, you know, address Christianity. Yeah. So, you know, the church really has, in a way, accepted it. It's just, I think, once again, the fundamentalism. And 
sometimes, you know, the old Catholic school before Vatican II was a little more fundamental. Yeah. A little more hardline. And I think it's just a sign of the dreezing up all the way around. And now since we're finding planets, I think, you know, it's an inevitable that we're going to find life eventually. So the church is going to have to make a stand. You, uh, you actually kind of touched on something here when you were talking about the missionaries is one of the talking points I want to talk to you about is just your missionary work. Talk a little bit about that and some of the stuff that you experienced while you were doing missionary work. Because as you said, you know, the, the, uh, the weird paranormal stuff does seem to pop up when folks are, you know, overseas. There's a whole different culture uh, in some of these other countries where, you know, they have amazing stories of, of stuff that just blows the minds of Americans who would not believe that they have these beliefs and these, uh, you know, stories and, and legends and stuff like that. And then the missionaries come down there and they run into these these situations and it's it's quite amazing. And you do talk about some of these types of stories you've heard uh, on on the blog. So I guess just talk a little bit about your missionary work and anything weird you might have encountered while you were doing work. Sure. Um, yeah, with the Christian Missionary Alliance, it's uh, pretty standard for any minister to at least do some ministry. Um, it's not like the Mormons, but you're sort of expected to go on the field for a little while. So I was there for a little less than a year um, at Burkina Faso, which was formerly Upper Volta in the 60s, mm-hmm. right next to Mali. Well, that you know, that's West African and it's animistic culture. They have, you know, fetishes to different goddesses of fertility, usually, either fertility or of riches and wealth. When you get outside of Western culture, we're so materialistic. We're so um, skeptical about uh, the paranormal. Well, it's getting less like that, you know, today with the popularity of the paranormal. Mm -hmm. But uh, most things that people would see, if you're from the third world, you'd attribute it to some spiritual meaning and look into it a lot of people just ignore in our culture and you know you see things and you just say well that's kind of weird um like one one of the things i i, I was in the, the hudson river my college Nyack college was on the hudson river during the flap in the mid 80s yeah um I, I was walking out of a prayer meeting and you know i saw the triangle going down the middle of the hudson river and i was stopping all my friends going do you see that do you know what that is and they look at it and go yeah that's weird and i walk away and I was just standing there seeing the thing going down the river. I'm like, wow. But yeah, when I was in Burkina Faso, um, a very militaristic country back then. They had ties with Libya, and that was the mid-'80s. We were going out doing evangelistic tours in the middle of the uh, the bush. You'd be hundreds and hundreds of miles away from electricity out in the middle of nowhere. And it's all animistic. There's some churches, and there's all kinds of spiritual encounters and warfare going on with uh, shaman and uh, different uh, animistic tribes uh, with the Christians. Um, Yes. Yeah, it's really bizarre. And, you know, of course you have the Muslims, but really the Muslims were really, they're they're pretty laid back in Burkina. But uh, I remember we were in the middle of this one bush near Mali, right out in the savannah, and there's only a couple couple beds to sleep in, so it was my job to guard the truck. <laughs> so I had my sword on my side and I stepped on top of the rover and you know I didn't think anything of it but middle of the night something was going down the middle of the of the town and we were you know there's only one road it was yeah. just it was massive I don't know if it was a tiger but there's not supposed to be any tigers for hundreds of miles around either something dark and I was I was just praying <laughs> and it, it stopped by the truck and went by later we went to a, a it's right by Bobo de Lasso, one of the main centers, and it's called the Fara. 
The Volta River is about, I'd say, 150 miles away. That's the only major water source. Uh, it's Savannah Flat. The missionaries took us to this place just to show us what the culture is for animism. Uh, it was like a big hole in the ground. You'd uh, you'd see the trees, the greenery, and then suddenly you just went down into the into the cliffs. And there was a pool about the size of Olympic swimming pool, sort of like almost kidney-shaped with the little trails off with some water dripping down. It was all murky. We saw the, the locals bringing cattle down, sacrificing cattle, chickens, um, to a fertility goddess that lived in the, the pool. They wow. cut up the, there's blood everywhere, and the stench was, it was incredible. It was just bizarre, something you never see in our society. And they were throwing pieces of meat into the water, and this gigantic black thing just came from the water, and I didn't see any fins or anything. And you'd see a little type of uh, bubbling and activity where the meat was. And then it would submerge back down. Whoa. Gigantic. I'm thinking it might have been well, an African catfish that grew to gigantic size or maybe a population of it. But I, I have no idea what it was. But it was it was definitely bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. They um, said that uh, in the 18th century, one of the first uh, white men that came in the area uh, mocked the goddess and jumped in the pool and he was eaten alive. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy crap. Very bizarre. Yikes. You have a unique perspective here because, as you said, you're, you're a trained exorcist. You're legit here. You're really uh, in the realm of the demons, if you will, uh, fighting the demons in, in some senses. And, uh, you know, then there's a lot of these armchair folks out there, wannabe ghost hunters, weekend warriors who think they're demonologists when really they're just, you know, pimply teenagers. And uh, you have a great post at the Paranormal Pastor blog, uh, those wacky, tacky demonologists. And you sort of warn here in the in the post that, you know, uh, I'm going to quote you here, for when you take an inordinate amount of time exploring evil, evil itself will explore you. And uh, sort of suggest maybe that there's a little bit of danger there in, in, you know, this rise of ghost hunting and stuff like that. So I guess just talk a little bit about your take on you know, the amateur armchair demonologists and how that might actually not be a very good idea for, you know, untrained folks to be tinkering around and, 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 you know, declaring something or someone possessed when really they have no idea what's going on. Yeah, absolutely true. Some It's a, become a hobby to people, which is not in the realm of hobby. It's the realm of profession in, in a way. For me, actually, you know, even being trained... Um, as an exorcist, I, I avoid power encounters unless somebody actually really needs it. The problem with, and like I said, you know, you, you quoted, uh, you know, if you observe evil, evil observes you, which is actually a quote from Bad One Five. I always thought that was a greatest quote, and I, I know it has to be a quote someplace else, and I've always looked for it. But if you go around looking for demons underneath every every bush, you'll, you'll find them. I had so many friends in college and in seminary. Uh, once they got on the demonology kick, they could not let it go. Um, I think it's an obsession. I think it has something spiritual to do with it. They're automatically uh, assuming that any odd behavior with somebody is, or, you know, psychological problems are demonic. I ran into so many people who had their lives just totally destroyed um, by thinking that they are possessed when they just have some minor psychological problems. I, I had a good friend who had Tourette's syndrome. Yeah. And uh, they tried to exercise that demon 
over and over and over. And, you know, I, I was, and some other friends were just trying to tell him, you know, it's just a disease. It's a problem that you have that you probably have to live with the rest of your life. It's not demonic. And it crushed him. Um, and there's other incidents too. You know, I think if you, uh, you have to, when you approach something, if it's, if you think that there's uh, an, an entity or an exorcism that needs to happen, an entity in a building for a blessing or consecration or if an exorcism is going to happen, the first thing you need to do, um, just like any paranormal investigator would do, is take away all the secondary evidence and get down to it. Take away all the stuff that's normal, debunk everything, and if what you have left is an actual spirit, demon, entity, or problem, then you address it as such. Because there's so many, and you know, even being in it myself, I've seen people have psychological symptoms after being uh, in a possession or oppression, and it can increase. So it's a it's a touchy subject. Um, just to take away all the psychological, all the debunk everything. I, I actually saw some people who were so into it, and we had a group that were called demon testers. They go around and they make sure they test people, and it was really just um, oh, what is it? Word association. They'd sit you down, they'd pray around you, and they'd have you think of the first demon that came to mind. <laughs> oh, I know this one guy. He had Wendy was the demon of farts, and <laughs> they tried to exercise the demon of farts from <laughs> from the guy, and you know it was like incredibly nuts, and that same guy was sure that it was demonic because he was, you know, passing gas all the time and embarrassing himself. What? <laughs> he had children, and he thought that they were demonic too. They brought three and four-year-old children to the exercise. I was, it was just, I don't know what happened to them, but it was just like they're heading down a dark road and they couldn't see the light because if you're focusing on the darkness, you can't focus on the light. My opinion is you focus on the light. If the darkness shows itself, you deal with it. Mm-hmm. Now, would you say you've taken part in a, a number of exorcisms, or, or you know, how many have you done? You think? Oh, over the years, yeah, quite a few ones that actually turn out to be actually demonic inspired. I'd say, I'd say one fifth. Oh wow! Most of them turn out to be. There's some questions about some of them in between, but a lot of them are just psychological, and the person's confused, or the family's confused. But you do get some weird stuff, some voices, um, temperatures, things sometimes move. I've never seen scratches. I've never seen that. I've never seen, I've heard people say the eyes turn black. I've never seen that. Personality changes when a person, a person does not have personality disorders and the, the personality leaves in a, a horrible screech. Um, those type of things. Whoa. But not some of the stuff you see on TV. You know, scratches across the chest that automatically pop up. Now, I've seen blisters, but from how I assessed it at the time, and my friends had did too, was it was a psychosomatic symptom. Yeah. So. Sounds scary. It, it's interesting. It's it's intense. It's a lot of prayer. A lot of prayer goes behind it. Yeah. It's probably, like, not as glamorous as it is on TV, I bet, right? No, not at all. <laughs> 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 it's it's a lot of talking and just getting to know the person beforehand. Oh, who has time for that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't get to see all that stuff on TV. <laughs> yeah, I know. They're just like right into the whole, you know, throwing the holy water on them and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Along that line, you uh, you do have uh, another post later on on the blog there, uh, a note of caution for paranormal investigators mm -hmm. and uh, kind of a chilling 
peace, because you say, uh, I fear by the end of this decade and beyond, we will see a devastating toll in the ranks of paranormal investigators. Now, I guess just extrapolate on that a little bit, because it really spooked me out a little bit, and I think it goes kind of along with what we're talking about here, about, you know, courting evil by being so invested in, in the paranormal and, and, you know, this whole de demonicness and ghost hunting and stuff. Well, with the week after I posted that, I had an, a, a blatant example of the exact same thing I was talking about. But, and the premise is that, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, you're getting in the middle of this. As paranormal investigators, they're getting more into necromancy, trying to make the, the spirits manifest. And if you don't know what you're dealing with, if it is a demonic spirit, um, they can latch on to you. They can cause psychological problems, uh, emotional problems, uh, oppression, uh, feeling, you know, uh, gloom and doom, depression. They can latch on to you. Entities can latch on to you, and they can actually draw more entities to you. And if you do have a psychological history at all, it can make it worse. And um, that's why I said, you know, I, I really fear the way that a lot of the groups and, you know, some of the Taft's family, they're great. You know, they, they know how to do it, you know, without doing some, some of that kind of stuff, you know. Um, but others, they just go headlong without, yeah. with the blinders on. I fear that it's, we're going to have a, a horrible emotional cyclone coming down, you know, with mental illness. And just after I, I put that out within a week, uh, a paranormal investigator called me up and he wanted me to bless him, uh, met with him. Uh, he has a fairly big group, uh, very reputable, uh, very straightforward, uh, uh, looking at everything, you know, cynically, uh, logically. But he encountered at this one site entities, and he was starting to get uh, obsessed with them. He'd talk with them. they talked with him. He ended up fasting for 40 days and talking with them. They'd appear as lights, and then suddenly he started hearing voices in his head. Oh, God. Yeah. So I sat in uh, a medium who worked with him said that he was demon-possessed. Uh, they brought in an exorcist that they knew, um, and he said for sure he was possessed. So I sat down with him and talked to him. Prayed over him. I didn't feel anything. He'd gone to the hospital, and uh, he was in the hospital for, for a few days, and he uh, was on the meds, and the meds made the voices go away. So, you know, for me, that's a tie-in. He keeps going back to him, too. He keeps talking about him, the three spirits that keep talking to him. Now he's getting somebody else involved with the three spirits who are starting to hear him, too. Oh, God. So I'm just wondering if it is, uh, you know, demonic that was hiding, because he told me that the voices, they don't like me. <laughs> they don't like you? Yeah, they don't like me. They, they, oh, they no. They don't want me to go away. So, and he's still involved in paranormal investigation, and when you when you have something like that happen to you, you still are involved in paranormal investigations. You still don't know what you're dealing with. You can they can add on. Yeah, yeah. And then I heard a couple more, uh, not complete. I did talk to the people, but I've heard some more stories about the same sort of sort of things, where some investigators are just starting to get some psychological baggage. Strange these investigations. Yeah. You think, like, uh, you know, you don't want to get into some kind of supernatural conspiracy realm, but then you wonder, like, you know, is this whole thing orchestrated by, <laughs> by you know, the, the Dark Knight himself or something, you know, it, this whole boom of ghost hunting? Well, one of the ghost hunting's really gone into <coughs> this. It's the new spiritu spiritism. 
you know, yeah. like the 1800s. Um, just how their techniques are, are doing it. And it's gone from more of a scientific aspect to a uh, spiritual aspect. And when you do that, you can, you know, it just opens up a whole floodgate, especially with some people, you know, there are things as generational issues, um, generational demons. Demons can actually hold on from generation to generation while you might not have a problem. They know who you are, and they know who your ancestors are. And a lot of people who I found out who are into the ghost hunting and the paranormal, they've had a lot of issues in their family. Yikes. It's interesting. Yeah, that's for sure. Of course, the Bible is, you know, used by many, many people in the paranormal world for as evidence for all kinds of different things. And I was really happy to see that at the Paranormal Pastor blog, you do a really great job in a series of blog posts, three different postings, taking a look at what the Bible really says about ghosts, UFOs, and cryptozoology, and, and mythical creatures. And, and, you know, you take a really good straightforward look at it, and uh, I enjoyed that quite a bit. So let's dig in a little bit to your The Bible and the Paranormal series uh, that was at the Paranormal Pastor blog. Let's talk first, I guess, about the ghost section, because I found that really interesting, and uh, so many people try to lump ghosts in with demons, but you don't seem to think that is the case, and, 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 uh, and you do point out a number of instances where the Bible sort of either references ghosts or references things that aren't ghosts, you know, that people accidentally attribute to demons and stuff like that. So I guess talk a little bit about what the Bible has to say about ghosts. Yeah, a lot of fundamentalists out there will say that uh, there are no such thing as ghosts as soon as you, and I just recently wrote on the blog, where do you go when you die? Just because we had uh, the three deaths, well, now four, with uh, Carl Moulton mm -hmm. here, um, celebrity deaths. Uh, people, when that happens, people usually question themselves, what will happen to me when I die? Um, and another reason I did that too is I got rebuked by somebody about the ghost and the paranormal, just saying that I was using the scripture to my own ends, and I don't know what I'm talking about. Really, fundamentalists have a big problem. I think anything, any spirit is demonic, because when you die, you go straight to heaven, or you're going to go straight to hell. And that's not what the Bible says. We have a lot of preconceptions in our Western culture of what the Bible means. And in churches specifically, we have a second-hand testimony and not straight biblical theology of what the Bible really says. The Bible really talks about spirits, um, unclean spirits, and they're two distinct type of things. Jesus, when he was walking on the water towards the disciples, they had just went out and they were, they were commissioned to do exorcisms. So they were going out dealing with demonic spirits. When Jesus came walking on the water... They were all afraid. Is it a ghost? If it was, if all ghosts are demonic spirits, they would have rebuked him in his own name. <laughs> yeah. Basically. So that sort of is, you know, it's it's not specifically saying does the Bible talk about ghosts, but they reference it as in the culture and the people who of faith who are in the Bible, they did have a conception about ghosts. And in um, also in First Samuel. Uh, the witch of Endor, Saul, the king of Israel. He has disobeyed God, and Samuel, the, the prophet, has died. He, he leaned upon him for guidance in, in the battle. And, um, so now that Samuel was gone, he went to the witch of Endor. He heard that she could call up spirits to try and call up the spirit of Samuel so he could have guidance for the battle. And 
now from the text, you you sort of get the feeling that she was a, a con artist. Yeah. But uh, suddenly Samuel actually does appear. It says he came up from from the ground, from Sheol. He descended out of the earth. I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. What is its form? It's a form of an old man coming up, covered in a mantle. And Saul perceived it was Samuel. So the Bible says it was Samuel. It says it was Samuel's spirit coming from beyond. And a lot of people will say, you know, they make that an aside. Well, it was a special act of God just to scare the witch and to show Samuel that he was, you know, falling down the wrong path. Well, it doesn't say that. <laughs> and the Bible is usually pretty specific when it comes to moral teaching. Yeah. Also, we see when Jesus appears in um, after the resurrection, he you know, tells the disciples, look at me, I'm not a ghost. It's really me. So that means the disciples could have assumed or were assuming this is a spirit, it's a ghost. It's not really Jesus. And Jesus says, nope. It's real in flesh and blood. It's weird. It's it's kind of interesting to think about how that ghosts have been around forever, I guess, you know, and, and even back then they were a part of the culture. Now, the interesting thing, when you really get into it theologically, the word demon comes from spirit in the uh, Koine Greek and the Hellenistic Greek, mm-hmm. and it does reference ghosts. Demons were unclean spirits who would hang around graveyards, and that's their whole concept uh, in at least the New Testament of where we get unclean spirit. It was unclean because it was around the dead bodies. It wasn't evil. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to see how, you know, different parts of the Bible get taken out of context. And as you say, the, uh, you know, trying to to use what you find in the Bible for your your interest in the paranormal, let's say, you know, not you, but, you know, a general person, it all depends on context. And, And often a lot of this stuff is taken out of context and then, you know, misappropriated for all kinds of different things. And that's actually a good segue into the second part of your Bible and the paranormal series, and that is UFOs in the Bible. Because, you know, there's just a whole bunch of folks who try to squeeze UFOs into the Bible, and you point out there's sort of two schools of thought with regards to that. And uh, I really found that quite interesting as a student of the UFO phenomenon. So I guess talk a little bit about the, the UFOs in the Bible and what you, what you think is going on there. Well, yeah, the the two different branches is that um, all biblical accounts of angels, giants, and visionary phenomena can be explained by extraterrestrial and alien activity, or all UFOs are demonic entities that are here to deceive mankind. Even from uh, Chariots of the Gods with Eric Van Daniken and the vision of the wheels within the wheel. I mean, it is a compelling argument that that, you know, the UFO. But when you get into the visionary phenomena, the ecstatic history, of Western religion. It's not that spectacular. It couldn't have been. It could have been. Yeah. But still, it is an angel. Um, it's still a representative from God. It, it didn't say, here, I'm coming down to give you knowledge. It didn't come down to, you know, uh, mother our race, like, you know, all the science fiction offshoots of that whole theory would would assess mm-hmm. what ha- would have happened. It's just it's giving us a reference back to the reality of God, the reality of our spiritual needs, and a testimony that God is real and what he said was real. It's not you know, what you'd expect. Now, could some angels be aliens? Angels in the Bible, were they God's messengers? Yeah. Did they come from the clouds? Sometimes. But um, angels could change shape. They could appear as different people. 
Abraham, one of the first appearances of angels, uh, three people come to Abraham and uh, and talk to him. And it's um, it's in Genesis, and it's uh, what uh, in Christian theologians say it's a Christophany. It's the three in one, and they're called messengers of God. They have no history. And then you have Melchizedek, who's a priest. He has no history. Was he an angel? So the actual biblical thought, theological thought of an angel is really far from like an ancient astronaut type of thought. Yeah. And you also have the Nephilim. A lot of people think that in Genesis 6, you have the flood. And the text says, uh, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And they laid with them and had children who were giants of the old age, men of renown. Mm-hmm. Um, and the word Nephilim for giants is uh, from a Hebrew word meaning meaning fallen, so they, it could be interpreted as the fallen ones, which is the only time in Scripture that you have a reference, a direct reference, to a race connected to the sons of God, which in the book of Job, that's angels being fallen. Um, that's the only time you see anything. You know, we have a lot of hierarchy of demons and stuff like that. That comes from a lot of rabbinical teachings and uh, Talmudic teachings. But this is the only thing in the Bible that talks about actual falling, except for Lucifer himself. Yeah. So what do you make of the whole Nephilim thing, then? Do you think that it was just, uh, you know, it's been amalgamated and misinterpreted by people? Or do you think that, you know, there was some kind of weird uh, race mix, if you will? I believe there was really a race mix. I really believe there was. Actually, started. I'm, I still, I'm, <laughs> you know, so some writers will have that project they're working on all their lives and they never get it accomplished. <laughs> I have something like that with the Nephilim. That and it's the old church thought of the Nephilim was that uh, the sons of God, the angels, the fallen angels, had sex with uh, the women and they produced this offspring who were an abomination, uh, who were half angel, half man. And uh, they were destroyed in the flood, and so they're, they were used to having a body, so their disembodied spirits are traveling the earth. And that's where we get uh, demonic spirits trying to possess people. Interesting. Now, is that your take on it? That's, that's an ancient church thought. Oh, okay. And that would, that would be mine, too. Mine would, I have one who didn't uh, get destroyed, and he's, he's hunting down. <laughs> I thought they just became Yankee fans. <laughs> then you have other people too who believe all UFOs are demonic entities. Yeah. Not just because of you know some people who have abductee the abductee phenomena, they have a uh, you know philosophy that's a little new age, and a lot of people who are um, fundamentalist Christians or evangelicals think that's a demonic. You know, well, you know it's not you know it's not biblical to them, so they think it's demonic. So that's where they get that it's demonic. While we're in sort of the UFO realm, I guess, um, what's your take on abductions? And uh, and to piggyback onto that, even though it's sort of, you know, kind of off the beaten path of abductions, what do you think of the whole Islamic jinn uh, scenario? Just that, the, you know, that their belief in, in these sort of entities that are the jinn. Yeah, that's funny because that ties in with my book as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that was, I'm sort of taking them as the same sort of thing. The jinn were fire, um, creatures made out of fire. And it really um, ties into what we would believe is like the Nephilim as well. Um, their spirits, I, I would, I saw them as what the spirits are after the flood, uh, if you take the early church tradition. 
um, that, you know, I, I like it because it seems kind of pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the djinn are really, you know, the demonic spirits who are still searching. You can talk to them, you know, like familiar spirits. Yeah. But they, they trouble you and they attack you just like familiar spirits will do as well. Okay. Some people do think that djinn are tied in with the Nephilim and UFO way as well. What's your take on abductions? You know, when I first came back to Erie PA here in 95, I had never met abductees before. And I'd been away from Erie from, for about 10 years. I met a slew of abductees at an ambulance company. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and one guy was sure he had a chip in his head and he was starting to work for NASA. And he had some pretty amazing stories. And so did a, a girl who was very sensitive to uh, some of the ghosts that were at that ambulance company. I, I don't know. I just hope it never happens to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> that and Sasquatch coming, I don't want to meet Sasquatch face to face. <laughs> wow. I thought I figured you'd be all about Sasquatch. I did, I, you know, I've always had a fear of that ever since I was looking, ever since Legend of Boggy Creek. <laughs> I heard that the, the Sasquatch in the Pennsylvania region is kind of like the, the aggressive one, so I'd, I'd be a little weary, yeah. Yeah, there's been quite a few sightings in the area here. I know, it's, it's kind of a hotbed of uh, weird paranormal activity over there. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, hear our prayer. I hate being late. Well, I hate going. Why can't I worship the Lord in my own way? By praying like hell on my deathbed. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. How you doing? Peace be with you. Praise Jeebus. Now, just to wrap up the Bible and the paranormal series, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what you uncovered as far as these mystery creatures that are mentioned in the Bible. Because I found that really interesting because you did a great job of sort of debunking a lot of these cryptids that are in the Bible that turns out they're probably just, you know, mistranslations and, and that kind of thing, but there are a couple that, that do stand out as, as potential creatures of the time that we're still not quite sure what they're talking about. Yeah, like the, the cockatrice and the basilisk, mm -hmm. uh, giant snakes. Yeah, could they have been, you know, their cockatrice was a winged uh, creature, uh, had a head of rooster, um, a snake tail, and wings of a bat. And the Bible talks about it um, in Isaiah. Really, are they talking about uh, a giant you know, dinosaur-like creature, or are they talking about a snake-like creature, a very deadly snake? You know, that's a lot of conjecture. Um, also, the the satyr, the half-man, half-horse creature, mm -hmm. you know, that's talked about directly, too. But again, there's a translation problem with the King James Version. The word satyr is from the Hebrew word seir, which is a hairy creature. Um, and that word is used uh, 52 times. Uh, and only those two times is it translated as a satyr in the New King James. It, it, some people say it is a hairy mountain goat that commonly roamed ancient Babylon. But, you know, that's really strange. You have a hairy creature. And then, of course, you have the dragon. And what you can do is, well, the Bible talks about the, the dragon as Satan. And it also has the dragon as the archenemy. Now, the word for dragon in Revelation is tannin. It's used throughout the Bible as well. Uh, and it's translated as dragon, whale, or serpent. And it's also used as the serpents, which were, you know, on the rod of the Egyptian magicians, who also the Ten Commandments, where they throw the snake down and it turns into a snake, and Moses' snake eats the other ones. That's that same word that was used there. Yeah. So were there giant lizards? Were there giant... Dragon-esque dinosaurs back then, 
um, that they refer to as dragons, or were these also just snakes, or were they sea monsters? Because we also do have um, the Leviathan, um, and a lot of people say it's either a dinosaur, or a whale, or a crocodile. You know, there's pluses and minuses. All we really know is a giant sea creature that was huge and gigantic. Uh, they were seen by uh, by ships. Uh, they're associated with whales. And in modern Hebrew, it's Leviathan is literally translated to whales. Um, some will say it's a crocodile. So you have the creatures that we see in the medieval, and you have the creatures from the Bible. Sometimes the creatures from the Bible were actually common creatures, but then you have some of the mystery things like that look like dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> Cockatrice, and you have Leviathan. Were they dinosaurs? Or I, I sort of like Lauren Coleman's thing about the uh, um, with the Mokley Memble. Mm-hmm. He uh, just did, uh, put on Cryptomundo a couple weeks ago when they had the Monster Quest here last week. Yeah. Uh, about the ancient rhino. And that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. A lot of times when they describe the sea creatures, they don't describe scales. It's mammalian. And that was just a, it was just more of a, a fanciful look at all <laughs> the possible things in Scripture because a lot of people take it, take it very serious. Yeah, a lot of people take it really serious. Now, uh, just to and jump... A lot of people say that Esau was a Bigfoot, but... Yeah, I saw that it, part of the <laughs> I saw that part of the post. I I I sort of see it as a, in a way as an analogy. I ever since I was <laughs> very young, as an analogy between Neanderthal and Homo sapien. You know, because Neanderthals are very hairy. Interesting, interesting. Now, just to jump back to the UFOs a little bit in the Bible, what do you make of the whole Ezekiel's wheel thing? Because that's the one that everyone seems to use as proof of of UFOs in the Bible. So uh, I'm sure you're well familiar with the Ezekiel story there. What what do you make of it? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, even before Ezekiel, we have um, the Apophrite Elijah being taken up in a chariot of fire. And we have um, Enoch disappearing. And in a lot of the Talmudic texts that he as well went into a, in a chariot of fire up straight up to heaven. So it wouldn't be the first... Um, incident that uh, it's an analogy to us that some vessel with fire, which you know, combustion, took a prophet up to the stars. Yeah. Could it have been? But the thing is, it gave him a direct, the angels, the seraphim, gave Ezekiel a direct message. I mean, it was a message concerning uh, his present time at that time. Was it aliens telling him that, or was it a vision? Because when you get into visions, you know, you can see. <laughs> You can see a lot of things. Yeah. And when you take it into the context of the theology, the, the four heads do represent uh, different things. The fundamentalists will see it as the persona of Christ. Um, some will see it as the nations. So could it have been, if it was, it sure got interpreted a whole different way by the persons who wrote the Bible. Yeah. We'll move away a little bit here from the Bible into some uh, some ghostly type stuff. I wanted to talk to you about uh, one of your blog posts, Phone Calls from the Dead, because you do a great job of uh, sharing some stories you've heard of, of people receiving these phone calls from the dead, which which is a, a growing thing, I guess, uh, nowadays. So I guess talk a little bit about that. Yes, yeah, I've heard about them for so long. Um, I had a, a cardiac moment in September when I was in the hospital. I was visited by the case management nurse to, you know, do my last rites and all that and get that and look like, wait, you know, I don't think I'm that bad yet. Uh -oh. But uh, 
so we started talking, and I told her about the paranormal pastor stuff. And she used to work at, uh, before case management, she used to work at hospice. And she told me some amazing stories of uh, when she'd be singing and the person was dying, they'd usually sing to them. And she would hear other voices sing with her. Oh, wow. There'd be visitations by people who would just disappear. And then there's the phone calls from the dead. There's so many. It's a book I'm working on to get. There's about eight different phenomena that happen when people die. That's one of the major ones. You either get a phone call um, when the person is dying from somebody who is deceased, either recently or from a long time ago. And before uh, our modern technology where you could trace the call, they'd hear the voice. And uh, now when we have caller ID, you can see the phone number and a lot of the phone numbers, even if there's no voice on the other end. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically the dead who died many years calling the, the person who was dying to comfort them. And uh, you get sometimes you get phone numbers that have not been working for decades. And sometimes you get voices. Sometimes you'll get noises and the person will assume it's the person talking. Or sometimes the secondary phenomenon of the voices of the dead is somebody who recently dies suddenly starts calling all the family. You know, we saw that um, happening here in California last year when they had that huge metro accident. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy's iPhone, I believe, was calling all the family members until the time that they actually found them. And recently I, I've heard from uh, the same phenomena happening on the Air France. A lot of those phones were calling all the family. Wow. I still yet to get the direct uh, interviews about that, but I've heard secondary articles online. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, that's really weird. And I've heard, uh, have you ever heard of these emails from the dead? I've heard a couple of stories like that, but I haven't, I don't know if you've run into that yet. Vaguely, but I've never heard direct, yeah. Yeah, I've only kind of heard them secondhand, too. Yeah. Now, what about soul pillars? Because I'd never even heard of this, and I saw it on the Paranormal Pastor blog, and I was like, this is weird and amazing. So, I guess talk a little bit about soul pillars, because, like I said, I've never heard of this before. It sounds like sort of one of those on-the-fringe things that... Only, yeah. like you said, uh, in the blog post, you know, a lot of people who've had the experience don't want to tell anybody about it. So mm-hmm. this might be one of the few places that it's actually been mentioned somewhere. So talk a little bit about the soul pillars. Yeah, it's um, when I started doing the – I contacted a lot of hospices across the country and trying to get some of the um, phenomena documented. I met somebody locally who was very willing to talk to me, and um, she's had a lot of experience. Um, not just her with a couple others too, but with her experience, what she'd see. Um, and she's been doing hospice care um, as a nurse for 20 years. Uh, just before the person dies, as they're breathing their last, she would see a pink glow coming from their chest, a pillar of light just shooting out, and then they would be dead. I've talked to other people who've seen an electric spark coming off the forehead, and then I've seen people who've seen purple lights just like globes popping out of the chest. And it always seems to be out of the chest or the forehead. Whoa. And this woman, Marge, she's, uh, she was, I remember one of the uh, more um, brilliant, you know, spectacular things that happened to her was she was uh, praying with a pastor and his wife, the pastor of cancer, he was dying. And they were singing, and suddenly the cross across the room started glowing. Oh, and wow. The light came from the cross, pounded into his chest, and then the light came from his forehead passed away. Oh, wow. Yeah. So is it the soul leaving the body? Can some people perceive that? Yeah. Second, from this evidence, from these people who, and some, you know, don't claim to be sensitives or are not into, you know, 
more of the spiritualist type stuff. They don't know how to describe the phenomena they're seeing, but they see it. Interesting. And it's funny going to some of the hospices. You know, you start mentioning this stuff and they'll look at each other, they'll nod and say, yeah, we'll get back to you with some of the stories that we've seen. We've seen quite a bit of this and they'll never call you back. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you ever seen one of these soul pillars or is this just something you've heard about from other people? I suggest from interviews for doing the, the research on the book. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Now, I guess talk a little bit about your days working in the ambulance bay and, and some of the weird ghostly activity that you encountered uh, there, because that was one of my favorite posts from the Paranormal Pastor blog. Yeah, it's funny. Um, the church I go to now, I'm a member of the, the board, the council of the United Church of Christ here in St. Uh, Paul's here in Erie. And um, the vice president worked at the ambulance with me. He was the paramedic, not the one that happened, the thing incidents happened to. But that was the first time I, you know, I've always been interested in ghosts, but I was very skeptical. Very, very skeptical. And it was 1996 when I just came back from area the Christian Missionary Alliance before I got back into the United Methodist. I worked as uh, an ambulance dispatcher for a now defunct ambulance company. It was out of Pittsburgh and they had a secondary branch up here in Erie. I was the midnight dispatcher, so the crew would sleep in their quarters. We had a two-story house. The first story was converted into an ambulance bay with about two or three ambulances and the rest would be out in the parking lot. So we'd have a crew of about 20 people up in the uh, the bunks, right next to my dispatch officers, right at the head of the stairs. Long flight of stairs, straight up. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. Everybody was asleep. And I heard somebody walking up the steps. Very common. You know, you hear it all the time. Just wondering who was coming in late. Might have been another person to take some, you know, some time over for somebody else or doing some extra time. Mm -hmm. Door never opened. So I waited and didn't hear any footsteps go down. So I opened the door to see if there was a problem. There was nobody there. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so about 10 minutes later, I went to the restroom, closed the door, locked it. And uh, suddenly the, I was about 10 feet away from it. The door started jiggling. The handle started moving back and forth. So, you know, I quickly went over to open up. Nobody was there. Crew was sound asleep. And, you know, with those type of guys, your EMTs and uh, firefighters, yeah. they love practical jokes. But if they're going to play a practical joke... They're going to gloat about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, nobody said anything. And uh, I found out that one of the women, the woman who said she was also an abductee, had um, a couple paranormal experiences there beforehand. She had seen, uh, um, she was working on a woman who had passed away. And she was lying in the bunk one night. And uh, the bunk, it was the second floor of the bunk. And she was looking out by a big bay window by the road. And she saw this fog forming. And the the fog formed into a woman and came straight at her. And it looked to her like it was the face of the woman, except it was a little decayed. And she let out a scream, and everybody got up, and it was uh, very startling. Wow. Um, there was, I guess there was a, a very horrible accident out in front of the ambulance complex a couple years beforehand. They're uh, coming back from a particularly uh, dirty, there was another accident. Mm -hmm. um, so they're cleaning... Um, the truck up, and uh, she had low low man on the pole, so she had to clean up all the blood and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So she was cleaning it up and putting all the, the stuff in a bucket, and she saw, she felt weird. She felt her hair coming up in the back of her neck. She knew something was happening, and she looked over, and a hand came out of the bucket. Oh, God. She saw a hand come So she screamed, and everybody ran down, and she was, she was just, I was there at the time, and she was a fit to be tied. You know, I was a little later in the day. She so was still good to be tied when I came in. 
Yikes, jeez. Yeah, and yeah, me and my friend from church, we still talk about that. You know, what did she see? Was it the person who they had just encountered? Was that a remembrance because it was their blood they were cleaning up? Or was it the bad accident out front? That's some spooky stuff. Yeah, that was very bizarre. Now, when you worked at this ambulance thing, uh, was it, uh, did it sort of go along with the idea that when there's a full moon, that everything picks up? Is it? Did you run into that thing? Oh, yeah, definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> yeah, even with people who are just, uh, renal patients doing uh, their dialysis treatments, um, they get into some just wacky situations with different ailments and have to be rushed down to the emergency rooms. Or, but a lot of a lot of bizarre people with a lot of manic stuff, a lot of emotional stuff. Yeah, yeah I just wondered what what the reasoning is behind that. Do you have a theory at all about the whole full moon pickup of weird activity thing? Some people say gravitational forces. Yeah, I've heard that too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not too sure. Just, you notice it all the time. At least, you know, in some of the neighborhoods I've lived in too. Um, You know, when you're working with disadvantaged full moon, they'd be out in the street partying. (laughs) Weird. Yeah, yeah. Just because there's more light outside? I don't know, yeah. Makes you think what really is uh, going on there with that. Now let's talk about your very recent post uh, at the Paranormal Pastor blog, The Mystery Marks. I found this really interesting. And like I said, uh, one of the great things about your blog is just that, you know, you cover, as we've done so far tonight here, you just cover so many different areas of, of the esoteric that... You never know what you're going to get when you go to the Paranormal Pastor blog, but you know you're going to get something great and interesting, and uh, that's what I really like about it. So let, let's talk about the the whole thing with birthmarks and, and, and the, the whole esoteric connection there with that. Yeah, the birthmark things, ever since I was a little child, I was told about my brother. My brother David, I featured him a couple times in my blog. I mentioned him by name the one time. He's the one who has the cancer, and he's, he's slowly passing away, and it's not a healing, but it's a God sustaining him. He's the one when he was a child, when my parents uh, were in Detroit in the late 40s. My dad was looking for work, and uh, so they lived in a tenement house. And uh, one of their best friends was lived across the hall, elderly um, African-American couple. And uh, my brother had a birthmark on his leg. What happened is, um, and I've I been told this over and over and over, <laughs> and I never saw the birthmark because it disappeared. Weird. Yeah, um... I guess my mom went to labor, and they were going down the staircase, and she tripped and fell, and her friend, my dad was at work, the African-American lady grabbed her leg up by her thigh. Yeah. And, you know, she'd fall down, she would have fallen down, probably miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Um, big bruise, uh, they took her to the hospital, gave birth. Once she looked at the baby, there at the same spot where she was grabbed by her friend, was a perfect face, even with the hairstyle. Eyes, nose, mouth of her friend. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, he had it for years until he was a teenager, and then it disappeared. And we found out later that she had died. It disappeared like within three days of her death. Wow. From what I, I saw, he still has an outline of it. Well, he did. Not anymore. When I remember when I was a kid, you could see like a pockmark of a, of a face. Wow. And yeah, it was a hair. You could see lips at that time, but there was no coloration to it. But it was a deep, deep dark coloration. It was like, almost like a, you know, it was like a mole. And I like the wine sprays. Some people will say the wine sprays. Yeah. And there was a couple incidents I've heard of where pregnant women, they were sprayed across the stomach, and that's where the baby has the birthmark across the stomach of the, of the sherry wine birthmarks. You know, and historically there's been, you know, birthmarks sometimes connotated.
facilitated witchcraft yeah. or somebody who had supernatural powers. You do a really great job on the blog of uh, talking a lot about historical type paranormal events and stuff. Let's talk a little bit about Pierre Bernard, otherwise known as Um the Omnipotent, because I didn't know too much about this guy, and he was sort of, you know, running a mock up there where you had gone to college uh, prior to when you went to school, I presume, because it was in the early 1900s, I think. But talk a little bit about Pierre Bernard and, and that whole story. Yeah, Pierre Bernard, actually, his son um, disappeared in Nepal during the. Chinese invasion. Both him and his son were, they brought tantric yoga mm -hmm. to America. However, some of their beliefs were a little strange. They had the Corkstown Country Club in Rockland County, which is right at the foot of the Tappan Sea Bridge. Yep. And uh, my college, the Christian Missionary Alliance, Nyack College, was right next to them. Kind of bizarre to have so different uh, <laughs> theological ideas right next to each other. And it was always spoken of, like, hidden, you know, hush-hush. He'd bring, you know, the prostitutes up from the river from New York City, have these tantric sex orgies, sex magic. He was involved in the, in the occult pretty, pretty much. He actually ran for mayor. They'd have elephants, um, parades through the town, all kinds of yoga workshops throughout the buildings. It was a huge mansion um, and uh, a couple of their smaller mansions for the guests to stay in and a giant field, and also a theater where they put on the tantric sex uh, plays. Yikes. Yeah, it was pretty bizarre. And his mansion, uh, which later became our library, when I was in college, I always got to be good friends with the security officers so you could get out of trouble with parking tickets. And, <laughs> and you get to sneak around different places of the college. We, uh, Our college bought it in the 50s after he had passed away. And they converted it into a library, some dorm rooms, and um, it later became, it was a music hall. It became a seminary. Seminary since moved, and now it's a music hall again. But we would, uh, my friend and I would go to the big mansion, a huge Tudor-style mansion, beautiful. There were secret passages all the way through the building. And there was actually a tunnel that went from one side to the other. It was caved in. We could never find it. <laughs> but uh, there was one uh, you could go through from the, one of the walls, and yeah, it was a hidden doorway. You could go up and spy on the bedrooms. Oh wow! A little tiny, little tiny room. And unless you knew where to look, you couldn't, you couldn't tell. So there was all kinds of hidden paths. There was a uh, on the roof. You would not be able to tell that there is a giant porch on top of the roof itself. You yeah. Could look out and see um, the hut. <laughs> yeah, it was really neat. Some of the things that happened though on that old site were pretty disturbing. We would have bed shaking, the whole uh, black shape, night trauma. Yeah. Uh, the black shape, feeling the heaviness on the chest, and actually some beds would rise. Oh, wow. Uh, beds would move across the, the bedrooms. Uh, there's blessings and consecrations all the time. There was one in the dorm room. One dorm room had uh, mirrors on the wall, multifaceted mirror. Yeah. From at least seven different people, I heard that if they're studying in there and they look up, they'll see faces staring back at them. Oh, God. Yeah, all kinds of distorted faces. So that that was blessed over and over, but it seems like there was a, some sort of you know, resident thing that would not leave. <laughs> yeah, yikes. Yeah. He had the man in black. Uh, he was a dark figure. He was sighted by lots of security officers. He was a guy in a dark cloak. Um, sometimes he'd have glowing eyes. Sometimes his face was black. Um, he'd appear out of the trees, come towards the security officer or towards people, and then just disappear. 
some actually saw him floating from the woods while I was there, and they had there was a spontaneous nosebleed throughout the campus. What? Yeah, yeah, it was bizarre. Wow, geez, this sounds scary. It's even more bizarre, I guess, too, because it's a seminary school, right? Or it's a, it's a yeah, yeah, training pastors and missionaries, yeah. Yeah, so it's like even more bizarre that there's all this dark sort of activity going on there. It's like spooky. Yeah. Um, and then uh, to, to sort of piggyback on on the Um the Omnipotent post, uh, talk a little bit about uh, your days as a. I, I presume you were a member. I think yeah, I think you did say you were a member. Your days as a member of the Omega Men because I found that really amusing. That oh yeah, the Omega Men. They've gained such <laughs> such repute, and then you sort of like <laughs> pull the veil back, and you're like, you know, it was a high school principal, and <laughs> so yep. talk, talk a little bit about uh, the Omega Men and what that was all about. Yeah, I, I joined the. I, I'm one of the. I'm not, I'm, I don't know if I'm a founding member. I think I am. It was four of us, and then it grew. Um, it was just a, a bunch of us Star Trek nerds who, my other friends were paramilitary, and we just go around at night, and it was for the security. We pulled some pranks once in a great while, uh, but we, uh, we'd also go and explore the paranormal, because some of these things, we'd go in the, in the mansion. The mansion had a lot of fetishes from all over the world, and there'd be some really weird paranormal activity going on up there. But just a couple of years ago, Weird New York has a whole um, couple pages about the Omega Men and some of the stories about the Omega Men. I'm saying you're know, their satanic group and they have sacrifices. If you go into the old, uh, what was the training ground for World War One? It's an actual mock-up of uh, the French front line. Yeah. Um, so there's still miles and miles of underground tunnels with the slots for the rifles. There's a rifle range, um, all kinds of buildings. Actually, uh, I believe they also had prisoners of war stay there. A massive complex over, spanning over, what, half a mile. Yeah. Wood. And it's all, you know, overgrown trees and everything else. But the Omega men would go and mark their territory with a, with a, an Omega, with another half Omega on it, so it looked like an M. Yeah. And so, you know, of course, that's all these people see, and they, you know, other people would put satanic stuff in there. So the legend is that the Omega men these cultic people who've killed people. <laughs> and here we were, the opposite. We were guys who'd go up and we'd, we'd find some druggies doing drug deals and we'd ask them to move along. <laughs> but investigate the paranormal. Yeah. Yeah, you guys were doing the ghost hunting before it became uh, popular, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. If you were interested in that sort of thing at all at that uh, college, it was a natural because it was everywhere. Just to add one more strange element into the mix, I guess, let's talk a little bit about your, your Thunderbird sighting because it's like it's like the paranormal pastor. You, man, you... you, <laughs> you <laughs> no, it follows me around. Yeah, you're mixed up in everything here. Uh, you, you actually have a Thunderbird sighting, and I, I don't, I'm trying to remember if... Uh, we had a Thunderbird guest on earlier in the year. I'm trying to remember if he had one, a sighting or not, but I don't think he did. So uh, tell us about yours. It actually was in, uh, I wrote 40 in Times and put it in there, and from there it went to, it's in Word PA, and a couple rents had it on their site. Throughout 2000, I was working at the graveyard. I just started my uh, Open Gate Ministerial Services, and so I wasn't affiliated with the church, mm -hmm. but uh, doing the, and we actually had started our own church. We had just formed, and it, it's now defunct, uh, we had formed a small group 
and we were pursuing that and seeing what, what would happen. But, you know, it doesn't pay the bills, so I'd work at the cemetery as, first as a salesman and uh, then as maintenance because cemetery sales were horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible. Not that uh, working in maintenance at a cemetery is any fun either. I didn't see any weird things. I've had a lot of stories of the paranormal about ghosts and stuff. But July 2000, I was working by the uh, power lines that go um, all the way from Chicago to New York City. Yeah. The ones that broke down during that years ago when we had the big blackout. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of blue heron around the area. They're very big birds. Yeah. About seven-foot wingspan. Um, I've come upon one not even realizing it about three feet away, which just hop out of the creek, and, you know, it's awe-inspiring. It's amazing to see them. But I was mowing by a bunch of those the lines, and it was all covered with hedge. It just popped out of the hedge, this giant bird. It sort of looked like a blue heron, but it was darker, and it had a white tuff underneath it, and it flew by and off into the woods. And it was right by the high-tension wire, so I had a good estimate how big the wind was. It had to be... 12 to 14 foot. Wow. So twice as big as a blue heron. So, um, yeah, I, I put a rough estimate on my blog, and I know it was not a blue heron. It looked different. It might have been in some sort of mutated giant blue heron. There were similarities. Yeah. Um, and the weird thing, and I haven't wrote about it on the blog, I have told Brad Steiger and Lauren Coleman, I took a picture of, of uh, I just a couple months ago, there was a um, paranormal investigative team. Mm-hmm. went out to the graveyard. I was supposed to meet up with them, so I went out there earlier. Mm-hmm. Just look around and take some pictures of the mausoleum for my uh, stories I have about the mausy on my blog. Mm-hmm. Um, I was about 100 feet away uh, from this little um, shrubbery area where they were going to have a pet cemetery, and suddenly, whoosh, out of the brush comes the bird again. I don't know if it's the same bird, but it was about the same size. It was being chased by a couple smaller blackbirds. And it went up into the sky, you know, very rapidly. I had my camera with me, so I'm trying to zoom in, and my camera freezes. <laughs> it was bizarre. Wow. I did get one picture. I changed the batteries really quick, but it's so far away. I sent it to Lauren, and he said, you know, this is just, you can't tell what it is. I'm like, I can tell it's the, the bird that I saw, the bigger bird, because it just has the tail, but it's just so far away. But yeah. so I had another encounter, and it, and again, it was being... Uh, assaulted by the little blackbirds, and then it went to the same bushy area I saw it go before. Weird. So something's still out there. Yeah, that is interesting. That's strange. You've had all kinds of experiences here. <laughs> I haven't had any experiences really since, except at the church, since I've been writing. <laughs> so I don't know if it's mellowing it out or... <laughs> yeah, that may be the case. It seems like once you uh, declare that you're interested in the paranormal, the paranormal loses interest in you, unless you're, you know, one of those wacky weekend ghost hunters. Yeah. Now, I know you got a couple books out. Why don't you tell us a little bit about those? Uh, a Walk with an Angel, and uh, that one came out last year, and then Walking with Awanu, Ancient Spiritual Truths for Personal Growth. Uh, tell us a little bit about those books. Well, actually, A Walk with an Angel is a revision of Walking with Awanu. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a spiritual guide, five steps, quietness, forgiving yourself, forgiving others, basically behavior modification, and service are my five steps. Yeah. Um, in it, I have uh, uh, an angel, the guy's about to kill himself. It's a fictional story, but with uh, the five principles in it to help you build either a stronger spiritual life or codependency issues, drug and alcohol abuse issues. Yeah. The guy's about to kill himself. He just loses his job. He has no hope. He tries to kill himself, 
by gassing himself in his garage, and the door opens, and he sees this guy in his house and closes the door to go inside the house, and so he stops the car, goes in, looks around, there's nobody there. The next day, the angel appears to him, teaches him through different lessons that, you know, there's a stalker for his soul, and how to listen to the spirit, and how to make peace with himself and peace with others. So, uh, nobody knew what a Nawadu was, so I changed the title and some of the... Because <laughs> everybody asked, what's, what's a Nawadu? <laughs> well, that's, that's the name of the angel. And it sort of came to me, it was kind of strange. I, I was meditating in the woods one day, and the whole concept came to me in that name, Awanu, and I looked it up, and it is an Indian name, meaning uh, sky. Interesting. Spirit. Yeah. So I changed it so people would actually know what it is. It's an angel. Okay. Um, Where can people pick those up? Through Amazon? Through Amazon, yes. Nice. I'm, I'm just coming out with, I just sent it to uh, two different publishers, an exorcist's field guide to blessings, consecrations, and uh, exercising entities. Uh, so it might be out in a local bookstore soon. Nice, nice. And that's sort of, uh, that's in the nonfiction realm, right? Yeah, that's a basic a how-to do a blessing or a consecration. It's a Christian mode for these, like a Chinese menu, you can Part from A, part from B, part from C. <laughs> Depending on what your situation is, I have a bunch of prayers from different realms in the in the Protestant faith, and even some in the Catholic scripture verses in King James and in the the Latin Vulgate and commands. And so you pick those, and I, I show you step by step how to put it together. And if you run into more problems, you got to get hold of somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a basic, because I get I get letters every every day just about asking how can I have a blessing? Do you know anybody who does a blessing? And um, I believe in the priesthood of the believer in the Protestant faith. I, if you have the faith to do it, if you believe you can do it, God will honor it. Yeah. Now, if you get into a problem where there's an active spirit there, you got to have help. Yeah. Now, have you been getting a lot of good stories and stuff since the blog's been up? Yeah, I'm going through them. <laughs> <Trying to, laughs> I'm working on one right now. I was at, I'm going to put on my examiner site, I'm also on the examiner. Mm -hmm. There's a Kinzu Dam near Erie here. I was at the, uh, there's a Tom Bridge Center for Presque Isle was just built, and it's an introduction to the Presque Isle eco-structure. I was interested in going there because they have the UFO sighting from Presque Isle that I'd featured on my blog. Yeah. And I went and I, I saw the presentation they have of it, and they have also Bayside Bessie as well, the Lake Erie sea creature. Mm-hmm. So it was, it, they, it was really bad information because they made it sound like it was an Erie PA, where I know it's by Sandusky in Cleveland. So I was asking the director, and we got off into the, like always, you know, you get off into their stories. Kinzu Dam, Kinzu area, uh, was the Seneca tribe's ground uh, treaty to George Washington to be theirs forever. And in the 60s, um, JFK rescinded that and built the dam over their property. Oh, boy. Yeah, and so they had to relocate burial grounds, the whole town. Oh, man, Johnny just Cassidy asking for trouble it. now. Yeah, yeah, so it's a giant, it's the biggest, uh, one of the biggest dams east of the Mississippi. And it's over Indian burial grounds and Native territory. There has been sightings, this uh, director at the park ranger, in the water, not just giant catfish, like yeah. eight foot long, but a serpentine creature, too. Oh, man. So... I've been looking around trying to find the details of it. I've gotten a few. Once again, a few people are willing to talk about it. And I've gotten in contact with a local chief in the area, Indian chief. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm researching that. That's, that's going to be interesting. There's all kinds of stuff happening. UFOs, ghosts. It's like a 
you said you 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 don't want to run into the Bigfoot. Is there any sort of realm that you find to be like you know particularly interesting to you, or or you just like it all? Oh, I like it all. I'd love to see. I I would like to see a Bigfoot or a sea serpent. Sea serpent would be my yeah any type of sea creature if if I'm not in a boat. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds a little scary. That's probably the one thing that I don't want to run into would be a sea creature, just because uh, if I was in a boat, I like you, like you said, if I was on the shore, then uh, maybe I wouldn't mind so much. I actually did. I had my honeymoon at Lake Champlain. <laughs> <laughs> was that because of the lake monster, or just was it a coincidence? No, it was because of the lake monster. Yeah. Oh, geez. Did your wife know that? <laughs> no, she didn't. <laughs> Until we were on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that must have been an interesting conversation. Yeah. Did you know in this boat they actually had a sea monster riding? <laughs> oh man. Well, Pastor Swope, it's been great talking to you. It's been awesome hearing these stories and stuff. And we just scratched the surface really of uh what people can find at the blog, the paranormal pastor. They of course can uh punch in the Paranormal Pastor, include the the, folks. It's the Paranormal Pastor, all one word, dot blogspot, dot com. That's the blog. He also writes for Fate Magazine on occasion, 40 in times, and he has an examiner section as well. So he's prolific. He's all over the place. He's only been around for a year, but he's really exploded onto the scene in a huge way, and I'd call him one of the breakout stars in Esoterica over the last year for sure. Definitely one of 2009's rising stars in the paranormal world. He is the paranormal pastor. I'm a huge fan, and it's been great talking to you and, and really sort of uh, digging into some of these stories that I've been enjoying over the last year on the blog. So I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Pastor Swope, best of luck. Thanks again for coming on the program, and I look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Great. It's been an honor, Tim. Thank you. That does it for this week's edition of BOA Audio Season 4. Big, big, super huge thanks to the paranormal pastor, Pastor Robin Swope. Fascinating discussion. Hope you all dug that. Be sure to check out his website, www.theparanormalpastor.blogspot.com. All one word, theparanormalpastor.blogspot.com. Always something interesting going on over at the Paranormal Pastor blog. Check it out. Moving right along, you know what comes next. It is time for... BOA Audio listener feedback. We're kind of up against the clock. You're catching me in the midst of a very busy week here at BOA HQ. So we had originally planned for a humorous email here in BOA Audio listener feedback, but we're going to bump that to next time around and do kind of a little shorter one here because I know I'll talk less as a result of this email. The email comes from Pat in La Mesa, California, and here's what Pat has to say. Great show, Tim. More wrestling, please, from the same guy that did the first show. Thank you, Pat, La Mesa, California. See? Nice and simple, pithy, short, and brings up some stuff to talk about. First, thank you for the suggestion, Pat. You would not believe how many people write to me and want us to do another wrestling episode. And every season, I try to put one together and I think about it and, uh, you know, put out some feelers for people that I'd like to talk to in the wrestling world. But it just keeps staying on the back burner, and we never get around to it. And then next thing you know, it's the end of the season, and uh, all the slots are filled, and we didn't do a wrestling show. So I would like to do a wrestling show. I do feel like it has kind of been bumped by the baseball special, and I'm already getting flack, as you know, folks who listen to the end of the program and BOA Audio listener feedback know 
I already got some crap already from folks who do not like the baseball special. And I do get some emails of support, too, from folks who do dig the baseball special. So, you know, maybe I'm a little gun-shy about going back to the pro-wrestling well again. But I will say this. Season 5, I'm going to make a serious effort to return to the pro-wrestling realm with some guest. Probably not James Gutman, who is the guest you're referring to, Pat. Love James. Love his work. Love the website World Wrestling Insanity and his two books. But, you know, we like to diversify here on the show. And if we're going to go back to the wrestling topic, I definitely want to talk to maybe a former wrestler, maybe someone in the wrestling business now, or a wrestling reporter like James Gutman is. We'll see who we end up talking to, but I will, once again, try to make an effort to do a wrestling show here in Season 5. And I'm already going to apologize ahead of time to anyone who's not going to be happy about that. You know, sorry folks, there may be a wrestling episode next season. Who knows? I don't know. But I'm going to put it on the to-do list. That brings me to a larger point that should be made here, especially in light of the fact that we have locked in all of the remaining guests here for Season 5. We still have to tape a few more of the episodes, but they're already scheduled for these interviews, so the guests are locked in. Season 5 is in the books as far as the booking aspect goes. What that means is the list begins now for Season 5. I'm going to first preface all this by saying there's a good chance that you're going to be hearing from a lot of former BOA Audio guests. I don't want to say too much more about it than that. And I'm also going to add the coda that, you know, pay a little attention here to the final four of season four, because I'm kind of thinking of this as a taste, if you will, of what you're going to get in season five. More big name stars, more A-list names in Esoterica coming to BOA Audio next season. But with that said, there's always space for new folks. There's always areas of discussion we haven't covered yet, and we should be covering. So I want to hear your guest suggestions, and I also want to hear your guest return suggestions. So send me that stuff, folks. Let me know who you enjoyed hearing from. Let me know who you want to hear from on the show, because we're going to be starting to compile the list for season five and start making some phone calls and sending out some feelers to try and lock in guests for season five. So now is the time to make your move if you're a fan of a certain esoteric researcher or author and you want to hear them on BOA Audio, tell me now because now's the time we start trying to book these guests. So there you go. I probably ended up talking longer than I thought I would, but Pat, you brought up a whole bunch of stuff that I needed to discuss at the end of the program, so I thank you for writing in Wrestling Show on the to-do list for Season 5. And since we added the three extra episodes, that means three more editions of VOA Audio listener feedback. So there's plenty of space here for listeners who want to get stuff in. Guest suggestions, guest return suggestions, comments, critiques any of that stuff, send it over to me, and we'll try and feature it here at the end of the program on BOA Audio Listener Feedback. How do you get your stuff to me for listener feedback? There's three ways. I'm going to do them real quick for you. Email boaaudio at hotmail.com or go to the website and click the contact button. It's all over the website and easy to find. And thirdly, you can join up at the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E, usofe.com. The usofe.com, just one of the three methods to get in touch with me for listener feedback. You heard the two previous ones already, the email, the website. Any of those puts your correspondence into the BOA Audio mailbag. 
I'll dig into that and uh, try and feature here at the end of the program in future weeks. Up next, of course, it is the thanks portion of the show. Let me give a shout out and thanks to the amazing and esteemed BOA staff, Leslie, Chiron, Arlie, Joe V, Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, Lasha Seniuk, and A.M. Murphy. Since we've been gone for a couple weeks, I just do not have the time or the voice to go through all of the great stuff that's at BOA since the last edition of BOA Audio. There's new stuff on there from just about every BOA writer. I'll just do a quick, quick, quick preview, I promise. Leslie has something about the swine flu. Regan Lee has something about Virgin Mary apparitions. Richard has something on Blade Runner and the esoteric symbolism. A.M. Murphy has something up about magic. Rochelle Hawks talks about three great esoteric journals. And Tina Senna has a remembrance of John Keel. Those are all the different new offerings at BOA in the past couple weeks. Go on over there and check them out. Runs the gamut of esoteric topics, as you just heard. We say it week in and week out. It is the slogan of the end portion of the show. If you're only listening to BOA Audio and you're not reading the columns at Benall of America, you're only getting half the story. BOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. And if you've just discovered the program and you don't know the URL for the website, let me give it to you right now. It is www.binallofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. As you'll hear in a moment for our preview of the first phase of the Final Four of BOA Audio Season 4, next week's guest is Timothy Good, of course, two-hour phone call over to the UK. Why am I telling you this? Because this program costs me money, my friends. And I turn to you now and ask you to make a donation to BOA Audio and Benall of America. How do you do that? That's simple. You go to BOA or the BOA Audio archive page and you click the PayPal button. Nice and easy. PayPal will walk you through the process. Pretty simple stuff. And as always, no donation is too small and all donations go towards keeping Benall of America and BOA Audio up and running, commercial free and freely available for all of our great listeners and readers the world over. And if you're on the fence about making a donation, let me just stress to you that we've added three more episodes here on Season 4. This will be the longest season of BOA Audio ever, 34 episodes total, so we definitely could use your donations. They would go a long way towards helping us get into healthy financial states as we begin Season 5. But I'll have more to say about that, of course, in the final four of Season 4. That makes the perfect segue into our preview, not of next week's episode, but the episode in two weeks. I'm going to miss you folks for a week. i got a lot going on here that I have to take care of at BOA HQ. But once August comes around, I'm going to be fresh as a daisy, and I'm going to be ready to rock out with something I've been working on here for the last few weeks, and that is the final four of Season 4. As I said, in the previous years, we've ended at 31 episodes. Season 1, we ended in 33 episodes. This year, we're going to close it out at 34 episodes total. We're adding three more shows to the season because I want to go out with an enormous bang here for Season 4. And the best way to do that is the final four of Season 4. Every week in August, we're going to be bringing you an all-new interview with a bona fide A-list name in Esoterica. I can tell you one of them right now because that's the first guest of the final four of season four, direct from the UK. Timothy Good joins us. He's going to be talking about his latest book, Need to Know, as well as a number of elements 
of the UFO phenomenon, which he has uncovered over the course of his lengthy career investigating the phenomenon. Let me just give you a little thumbnail look at what we're going to be talking about during this interview. We'll be discussing the early intelligence conflicts between the U.S. and the U.K. with regards to the Swedish ghost rocket wave of the 1950s, Winston Churchill's failed attempts to find out about UFOs from the Ministry of Defense, the story of a Polish biophysicist and his visit to JPL, where he allegedly saw the remains of a dead alien, possibly from Roswell, information that Timothy Good has received about alien bases located around the world, the ongoing secret conflict between Earth and alien races, stories of retaliation by UFOs against airplanes that challenge them, the concept of gradual disclosure of the UFO phenomenon, the MJ-12 papers and Timothy Good's role in their publication, and what he really thinks was going on back in the 1980s when they were released. Plus, of course, tons and tons more. We taped this interview about two days ago, and I had an amazing time talking to Timothy Good. His material, in a word, is mind-blowing. Just could not believe it. Loved the book, Need to Know. Of course, loved Above Top Secret and his other stuff, but I read Need to Know this past week before we did the interview. It is truly a thought-provoking edition of BOI Audio with a researcher who has uncovered some truly unique information that may have you taking a second look at the UFO enigma. The venerable and esteemed Timothy Good, Phase 1 of the Final Four of Season 4 in two weeks on BOA Audio. And on that note, we wrap it up here for the week. I hate to leave you next week, but we're going to be back, as I said, in two weeks, and we're going to be back in a huge way. So I'm looking forward to bringing you all a quartet of esoteric supernovas, culminating, of course, in the BOA Audio Season 4 season finale. Can't wait to bring that to all you great folks. So once again, big thanks to the Paranormal Pastor, and big thanks, of course, to all of you, the amazing BOA Audio listeners. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for your amazing patience these past two weeks. I promise it will be handsomely rewarded in August with the final four of season four. I want to do something great for the BOA Audio listeners, and that's what you're going to get in August as we close the book on season four. You guys are the fuel of the machine. You keep this program running, and in August, you're going to get my thanks to you with this series of amazing interviews. Until then, this is Tim and all, thanking you for listening and signing off.